Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, this is John Dorsey. How you doing, buddy boy? Don't be scared. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts on this Monday edition of the show. And we are glad to be here because we are both uh, celebrating Victory Mondays, which I don't think, uh, at least for me, I anticipated. So I'm in a weird mood. We know Kyle's in a weird mood. If anyone saw the, uh, the timeline, the Twitter timeline last night, you saw... Uh, the video that Kyle posted just minutes before we started recording this podcast. And so I will uh, I will welcome Mr. Krabs to the show who seems to be in rare form. Three post-game Mondays, three victory Mondays for my Miami Dolphins, Joe. It's a beautiful thing. I, I'm, I'm elated for you. Um Thank you. Well, listen, you understand this as well as anybody. And it's really easy to kind of get swept away when your team has a good start, when you're used to being six and 10 every year. Right. Right. But uh, I was telling you in the pre-show, there, there's, there are some tendencies with this team that I think are very different from previous Dolphins iterations that have me, bless them, excited to play the New England Patriots <laughs> next week and find out where this team is at. Really? Yeah. You know, we're recording this at halftime of New England-Detroit. So we don't exactly know if New England is coming in off an L or not, but they did not look good in the first half, Joe. No. Uh, yeah, and we'll see what happens the rest of this game. I'm, I'm going to be the last person on the earth to write off the Patriots. I promise you that because I've seen this movie a lot of times. Uh, but they look bad here in the first half. And you think about the Jaguars game where they didn't play well and then you look at how the Jaguars played against Tennessee today, and you're like, ah, I don't, you know, it's we're still learning a lot about these teams, but man, um, rough start here for the uh, the New England Patriots, Kyle. Yeah, kind of undermanned. They they scratched Josh Gordon in this game, so they they only have three active wide receivers on the roster, and uh, Philip Dorsett couldn't catch a cold. God, God, he looks so bad in that one throw. So yeah. it's, it's not great. Yeah. I mean, he had that throw right over the middle yeah. in the first half that just, it made me cringe. It made me put a little extra jack in the glass when I did the dolphin shot that you alluded yeah. to at the top of the show. Well, I'm drinking Diet Coke. Kyle, I, the first thing I want to get into on this podcast. Please. We, we've got to go. go back a little bit. we got to go back to the first game of week three of the NFL schedule. we got to talk about Baker Mayfield, Kyle. Uh, I... I we we talked the next morning because we recorded the Super Show, the Friday Super Show, uh, on Wednesday actually, and so we haven't had a really uh, a chance to talk about this. But you and I we got on the on the phone on Friday morning, and and I I said something to you that I don't regret because I think it's true. I think when Baker Mayfield came into that game and did what he did at, at, in Cleveland for a team that's lost uh, has not won in nineteen games, all things considered. For him to come in and play the way he played, lead that victory, I think it's up there with some of the greatest all-time moments we've ever had in football. 
it's right there with what we saw from Aaron Rodgers with the knee thing uh, against the Bears. It's right there with the Favre uh, game where his father passed. I mean, all the great moments, it's right there. And I, 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 I thought about if I was going to go there or not, but I am because I, I am that taken back by it. When you think about Baker's entire football career, he grew up 10 minutes from, from the University of Texas, didn't get recruited there, walked on at Texas Tech. He's the freshman of the year in, in the Big 12. He loses a starting job. He transfers to Oklahoma as a walk-on. He's not the starter, has to battle for everything, and, and he gets written off over and over and over and over again. He winds up being the number one pick in the draft. He can't even get a first-team rep in preseason. And he steps onto the field in the relief duty of Tyrod Taylor and leads the Browns to its first win in 19 games. And he looked damn good doing it. They won because Baker Mayfield was playing quarterback. He was decisive. He was accurate. And he made big plays. And he looked like a veteran in his first moments of NFL action. And it was remarkable. Yeah, I mean, you're not kidding. Like, you've heard some of the the – naysayers of this performance allude to they didn't have any film on Baker Mayfield. But at the same time, the guy got zero snaps, zero with the first team steps in right before the half leads a two minute drill cold to get the first points of the night and then proceeds to play the entire second half throwing with anticipation throwing into holes in zone coverage. It was all of the leaps and bounds that we saw from Baker during his final year at Oklahoma, right? I think that's the most prominent thing is Baker came into his final season at Oklahoma and I had these apprehensions of, oh, you know, there's a lot of scheme DC throws. But as you watch that tape in 2017 and as you watch this game, the second half of this football game, there's a lot of similarities mobility in the pocket. You're seeing all the things that Baker used in his final season in Oklahoma to make that jump. They all translated every single one, extending plays from the pocket, but always keeping his eyes down the field, throwing with anticipation spot throws versus zone coverage. The quick feet to reset and always be balanced and ready to throw. And Joe, I challenge anyone to watch every throw that Tyrod or Tarod Taylor made in the first two and a half games of the season and watch the second half of the Jets-Browns game when Baker Mayfield was in and tell me that Taylor was the better quarterback. Yeah, no, no, but yeah. He was confident. Yep. He hit the back of his drops and the ball was out and he ripped yep. it. He was throwing hard. And that was the things that impressed me the most. He did have one interception that was dropped that hit a defender right in the numbers. Mm -hmm. But every throw and every decision that he made was with confidence. And for me, I'm with you. I'm sold. I watched that performance. I watched the way he brought that team back from such a steep deficit when they had nothing going. And they just traded Josh Gordon, who was widely considered their best offensive weapon. Baker Mayfield was a delight to watch on Thursday night. He was rocking and ripping it. Uh, Kyle, speaking of weird debuts, right, to an extent, right, Baker, we kind of knew it was always going to get a chance to play at some point. 
this Josh Rosen thing, right? So he makes his NFL debut with just under five minutes left in the fourth quarter of the game against the Chicago Bears where they're trailing by two points. And uh, they take over with the football. And Steve Wilkes, head coach of the Cardinals, trots Josh Rosen onto the field for his first action. Now, I was originally very excited about this because I wanted to see Josh Rosen play. And I felt that, you know, Sam Bradford has kind of fluttered through a few games now and it's it's time to put Rosen in. But what a weird spot to insert him in. He goes out and completes four or seven passes for 36 yards, uh, had two drives and, um, you know, obviously one ended in an interception and then the uh, other, he it was sacked in the last play of the game. Uh, what are we doing here, Kyle? I, I, I do give them some credit because at least they were giving Rosen some first-team reps on Wednesdays in practice and those types of things. So he had some degree of familiarity. But that stage to insert Rosen? You hear, what do you think here? Is there is there something I'm missing here or is that just really, really odd? Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and it's only fitting that this important interruption is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Have you thought about what you're getting your loved one this year? Or maybe you want to give the gift of sweet-smelling grundle bliss to your partner. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Whether you're the only one who gets to see what's going on down there or you're one of many, do you, your partner, and everyone else a favor and introduce yourself to this revolutionary company. Manscaped just launched their brand new Perfect Package. Inside the Manscaped Perfect Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which features skin-safe technology and will prevent you or your man from cutting his nuts. Speaking of smelling nice, let's be real. No one wants to carry around that locker room smell with them. That's why I am thankful for the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. These products keep your crotchal region from sweating, smelling, and sticking. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that'll keep that junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to this new new. Give the gift that will make your Valentine's Day spicy. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code locked on to get 20% off and free shipping. Ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man and men. Your partner will thank you. Trust me, he will thank you. And guess who else will thank you? Your balls will thank you. 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code locked on at manscaped.com. No, I mean, it It struck me as odd timing, right? Like, okay, Rope, pat him on the ass and send him out there and say, hey, go get it. <laughs> and um, like no feel for the game. You're just going to put him in in crunch time? It was weird. And I'm totally with you where that that decision to pull the plug when we pulled the plug um, didn't really make a lot of sense in the flow of the game. And this really kind of reaffirmed for me personally, Cardinals are in trouble this year. <laughs> you know, they, they were in a good spot early in this football game. And uh, to end up losing by two point to Chicago and, and you know, we – We've you and I have talked a good bit about Mitch Trubisky, and that's a whole nother set of problems where there's frustrating elements there. But I'll put that on the back burner right now. We're gonna, we're going to focus on the decision to to pull Bradford and put Rosen in. Um, if it, 
it, it almost felt like a, a loaded, a loaded decision almost where it's, you know, you're, you're going to send him out there and you're hoping for X result, but were you just waiting for an excuse to put him in? And if so, why would you choose this point in a football game to, to plug him in? If, if Rosen goes out and he leads the team to the win and you know, it's this heroic moment. Then we are talking, we are singing the praises of Steve Wilkes for a courageous decision. He knew what he had and they got his win, right? But it didn't happen, right? It's like going forward on a critical fourth down and you don't get it or running the, you know, just those questionable decisions. Well, if it works out, you're right. And if it doesn't, you're, you're, you're wrong. And I think, I think <laughs> in hindsight, right? We have the benefit of hindsight. It just looks stupid to me. Give the, Commit to him. Give him the week to prepare. Everybody knows it. He's going to have the game plan, the install, all the stuff that goes into being a starting quarterback. And if if you have to put him in, like you, you know the the Browns did with Baker, they didn't have a choice. Tyrod got a concussion, or with the situation with Josh Allen, where Nate Peterman was playing at a level where you couldn't put him back in the game. But in, when the game was in tow, I don't know. It, it seemed funky to me. Hopefully, they'll commit to him and give him a real chance uh, to to grow and. and be the starter for the week and have the install and all those types of things. Uh, next time he gets a chance to play. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested to hear what the ultimate decision is with Arizona going forward. Um, do you go ahead and throw Rosen to the wolves now? Do you plug Rosen back out there? Uh, th- that's all kind of research that I'm hoping to do this week is really look into Wilkes and that decision and, and that discussion to figure out you know, why we chose to go the way that we went. But Joe, I want to talk about, you know, it seems like we're talking quarterbacks here. There's a lot of quarterback takeaways from this week. Yes. Josh, uh, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills defeating on the road. Now, we still need to talk to the Bills media department and explain to them that Minnesota is not – where Milwaukee is, it's a little further west. Do you remember this tweet? I do. Yeah, from Saturday? yeah. It's all part of the process, Kyle. You know, all part of the process. Listen, I I had a conversation with a personal friend, and I want to ask you real quick before I continue this okay. thought: How many people do you think that graphic went oh. through before <laughs> it made it into the public? Uh, I'm. I don't know. Two, three. At yeah, least. I mean, yeah, it's not one person, right? The same person that made the video and then gave it to the Twitter person. I mean, we have some taste of that with TDN, with how our videos are made and how they actually get on social media. You know, you think that in an operation, where do we have nine people on staff where, you know, what we all kind of watch it and then it's posted. You think there'd be right. for a Twitter account for an NFL team, there'd be some more hands on deck, right? There's some layers yeah. to this whole thing. And for that to slip through the cracks, I mean, you know, Buffalo caught an uh, W on Sunday, but they caught an L on Saturday. If you missed it, they put out a graphic illustrating Buffalo's travel from Buffalo to Minneapolis, but they actually tag, tabbed Minnesota's home as Milwaukee instead. Whoops. Put it in Wisconsin instead of Minnesota. Not ideal. This is NFL Under Review, local experts on the biggest NFL stories. 
The NFL Honors Award Show was last week and one surprise when it came to Defensive Player of the Year. This is Bear Motter with your Los Angeles Rams update from Lockdown Rams. Aaron Donald would have been the first player in NFL history to win the award three straight years in a row, but it wasn't the case that the NFL Honors that award this year went to Stephon Gilmore. And don't get me wrong, Stephon Gilmore had a great season. Six interceptions, 18 pass deflected, two touchdowns. He had 53 total tackles. Stephon Gilmore won the award with 21 votes. Chandler Jones came in second with 14. TJ Watt with 10. Although Donald says this doesn't bother him, I see him putting this chip on his shoulder, working even harder, and coming back stronger in 2020, which is a scary thing for the rest of the NFL. For more NFL news, subscribe to the Locked On NFL Podcast only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. But Buffalo came in, they controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides. They harassed Kirk Cousins through the entire span of this football game. How many turnovers did they force? At least four, right? Uh, was it four? Maybe. I don't know if it was four, Kyle. I think it might have just been two or three. Well, they had two yeah, fumbles. I don't think Kirk Cousins threw an interception. Well, bless him then. That's pretty impressive if that's uh, the case because it no, seemed like one. every – one. I'm sorry. Yeah. He did throw one. Yep. Okay. That's right. So – a whole lot of turnovers for Minnesota. They beat the tar out of the Vikings up front on both sides of the football, and Josh Allen played efficient football. I think that was the big tip away. And I took to Twitter on Sunday afternoon, and I said, I have to tip my cap to Josh because you never want to see anybody fail, right? I was one of Josh's biggest critics in the buildup to the draft and the course of the summertime with Josh being placed in Buffalo and, and the situation that he's in there. And he played in an efficient football game. He made some things happen. And Joe, you were as big of a uh, supporter of any to say that he was decisive with his decisions and he was confident in getting the ball off on time. And I told you personally on a phone call that we had on Sunday, I said, if Allen gives you that performance every single week, he's already leaps and bounds better than what I had anticipated you would be getting with him, especially early on. So at that point, all you do is tip your cap and you say, great game. Josh Allen played a great football game for what Buffalo needed him to do really on Sunday like against the Vikings in a win. Yeah, I think that's what I kind of keep going back to with Josh is that he he played winning football that complemented a really good team performance. And, um, yeah, if, when you really think about his growth from his first start last week uh, to this week uh, against Minnesota, the team that they were road, deficit, or road dogs of 17 points. And Josh was really decisive. And I thought that was his biggest issue – against the Chargers was that, you know, he, he, his eyes weren't in the right places and he wasn't pulling the trigger. And when he did, it was just not any confidence and the balls weren't where they were supposed to be. That really didn't happen this week. You know, a lot of the same throws he missed, you know, particularly the, uh, the uh, slot wheel, he missed it twice against the Chargers and he hit it perfectly in rhythm against uh, whoever they play <laughs> against Minnesota for to Jason Kroon for the touchdown. And, there was a lot of throws where he hit in rhythm and where he was able to identify a favorable matchup and rip it with accuracy. Um, so I love seeing that from him, the decisiveness. He made some plays with his feet where that were 
that, you know, you expected him to make plays with his feet because he's a great athlete, but he did like rare stuff. Like his hurdle to Anthony Barr, I'm sure you saw that. And that was a supremely athletic play. The touchdown run that he had where he extended the football and got it uh, to the pylon was a supremely athletic play. So not that he's just picking up yards, but that he's making, I mean, that was a third down conversion that led to a score and a touchdown, right? So those were big time athletic plays that led to very big moments in the game early on. Um, I thought he showed some some really good down the field moments. The underthrow to Robert Foster stands out, where you know Robert Foster cooked Trey Wayne's had him had him by a couple steps. Ball was underthrown, uh, and it was a dropped interception by Trey Wayne's. But he did hit Robert Foster on a deep uh, nine route or, uh, in, later on in the game, and Robert Foster just it, it didn't catch it. Um, so there were some really good moments. Kelvin Benjamin had two drops. Charles Clay dropped a touchdown pass. So like you felt like there was even some meat left on the bone. Uh, he did have two turnover-worthy play. I already commented on the Foster uh, near interception, and then he was uh, getting sacked, and he just kind of like took the football in one hand and like stuck it out kind of weirdly, and it got knocked out. The, the Bills did re, uh, recover that. but So you had, you had two turnover-worthy plays, which I think is probably normal for an NFL quarterback. But a lot of growth, uh, in my opinion, from week one to week two in a game where Buffalo, you know, I, I was not super excited about watching it. I thought they were going to get skunked and, and wound up uh, – having a decisive victory. So good growth so far from Josh Allen week two to week three. And he's, uh, he's got to go to green Bay next week to face Aaron Rodgers. Can we talk real quick about what kind of acts the NFL has to grind against clay Matthews? This is unbelievable. (laughs) Speaking of the Packers, he's getting flagged every single week for roughing the passer on plays that are just like routine hits on quarterbacks. And I really don't like if I'm clay, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm just, uh, are you trying to force me to retire because I can't do anything? You're just going to flag me on every single thing. And I'll give clay credit. If I'm in the post game press conference and the Packers have had those hits nearly cost me one football game. They cost us a win in another football game. And we've since lost the third football game. That was fairly close, this latest game against Washington. My answers to the pro, the post-game interview centered around that hit in particular and the roughing the passer calls that have gone against me in the first three weeks, I would be much less tame than what Clay was. So Clay deserves a lot of, he may not in the eyes of officials be getting showing a lot of restraint, but I thought he showed excellent restraint in the way he responded to the reporters who were asking about that hit after the game because the first one maybe, but the last two weeks, I thought those were routine plays. We're going to have to add to our uh, scouting evaluation for pass rushers that they they hit the quarterback – correctly and uh, don't put their weight on top of yes yeah, don't, don't don't because put their that weight will go on from top. a sack to a 15 yard play and a first down for the for the offense so this is game changing type stuff <laughs> what you got Kyle what you got a talking I got plenty man so I'll well yeah. I mean here's the thing like we've spent 20 minutes talking about the 2018 rookie quarterback class do we have any college football like I have a, a college football take yeah. But it is centered around a quarterback. Yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> All right. So this is the quarterback show here on Draft Dudes Mondays or the quarterback show. I spent the weekend 
scouting Will Greer and the West Virginia Mountaineers. And Joe, this was a conversation that I had had with you. And I don't necessarily want to talk about Greer's pro projection as far as his draft grade per se, but I do want to talk about where I would like to see Greer land. Greer, for me, is somebody that he shows you a lot of nice things. He has an ability to extend plays within the pocket. He's ballsy. He's got brass balls. He's willing to stand in there and take hits. And he's a tough kid. He's creative. But at the same time, he's a little reckless. (laughs) And as I'm charting this game against Kansas State, a team that historically has given West Virginia fits. I think Kansas State was 5-2 and two in the series between the two teams coming into this football game. West Virginia won 35-6. There were a lot of on-schedule three-step throws from Will Greer within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And I'm sitting there watching this game, and I'm charting every single pass attempt that Greer has. And I couldn't help but remark to myself that I was really impressed with his ability to stay on schedule and make the short throws with accuracy and timing. And I said to you on the phone, as I was driving home from this football game on Saturday, I said, Joe, I can't help but think that I would really like Will Greer in a West Coast offense because he has some admirable accuracy. And at the same time, that West Coast offense, that quick timing concepts will protect him from himself and some of the tendencies that he has when he looks to push the ball down the field. So that was my primary takeaway from this West Virginia game is I'm watching Will and I'm charting him and I charted it. I've charted every pass attempt that he's had through three games this year, Tennessee, Youngstown state, now Kansas state. And I can't help but really center in on that thought. And I'm going to start thinking really hard about that from here on out the rest of the way. Because I think there there is a solution here that can optimize Will Greer as far as his skills and also taking to account some of his weaknesses, which can also be strengths, his off-script throws. But the scheme fit for Will, I think, is something that's more important than several of the other quarterbacks that are going to be in the class because of his style of play. And I think this is something I'm going to be dialing in on the rest of the season. Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good point. That's something that I really bought into when we uh, when we spoke earlier. My uh, my one college football take, and I have a lot, but I'll, I'll condense this to one: uh, is Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon. Uh, you talk about a big test, right? We, we kind of went into this game against Stanford uh, saying that this was a big one for him. You know, he's he's played well against Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State, but this was his first true test in a Pac-12 game. Both teams are 3-0 and entering the game, and uh, Stanford had really been lights out on defense. They really gave up a whole lot of points so far this year. And, uh, Kyle, I honestly think that Justin Herbert was near flawless. You know, obviously the last play of the game, he threw the interception. Uh, in overtime that sealed the win for Stanford. But, man, everything to that point, I thought he was just pure money. His accuracy is what really, really popped. I don't think it's hard to watch Herbert and see that he's got an NFL skill set in terms of his his physical stature. He's like 6'6", 230. He can move around. He's got a rocket arm. But what I saw from him in terms of ball placement 
in the biggest challenge of the game was, was really, really big. Um, and it was to all levels of the field. You know, he was not just, you know, not, you think about Oregon offense and it's just, just a lot of space that's manufactured and you just have to hit layups. He was hitting throws against man coverage, leading his targets away from coverage, identifying windows in zone and hitting throws with anticipation away from leverage defenders to the sideline, down the middle of the field, everywhere, man. I mean, this was a lights-out quarterback performance. Now, Oregon did some funky stuff that cost them from winning this football game. But Justin Herbert really, really showed well for himself. And we're kind of searching for QB1, right? There's a lot of names on the table right now. Uh, But, man, you want to talk about a guy that did something to really give himself a, a push here early in the season? Justin Herbert was friggin' outstanding. You know what else is freaking outstanding, Joe? What you got? Listeners of this podcast have four more episodes to look forward to the rest of the week. So my question for you, not you, Joe, you, the listener, is are you subscribed to the Draft Dudes podcast? If not, what the heck are you doing? We got Tuesday through Friday program upcoming. Make sure you don't miss it. Hit that subscribe button, follow along with us. We'd like to kindly thank you for carving some time out of your Monday and start your week off right with the Draft Dudes. I'm Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino. Joe is on Twitter at the Joe Marino. I'm on Twitter at Grinding the Tape. And tomorrow's show will be Takes on Takes. So if you have an opinion that you feel like needs to hit the interwebs and the audio waves, Tweet at us with the hashtag takes on takes. We had some great participation last week, Joe. I think we had nine or ten yeah, takes. Let's do better this week, man. And several of those were allocated and collected throughout the week before we had to solicit opinions. So I'd like to tip my cap just like I tip my cap to Josh Allen this weekend. I tip my cap to all of you who gave us takes on takes. Takes prior to to Monday afternoon. But if you're listening now, there's no shame in giving us a take now. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I am at grinding the tape. Kyle Cribs with Joe Marino. Thanks so much for listening to the Draft Dudes Podcast. We'll be back again with you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.